Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> that was so cool. We just, thank you. You. This is the Pot Smoking Moms podcast. We have to remember to save for everybody. Welcome on in. You are where you're supposed to be. We're just freaking out a little bit because we have a new video intro. Uh, so if you're a patron, you just saw our new video and, intro and if, for the first time. Exactly. And if you're a patron, there's a lot of new intros that you're going to be seeing on this episode. So the intros that you hear and every episode going forward. Exactly. And every uh, everything that you hear that our theme songs now have a video. So hey, come on over to our Patreon page. I am Sunny D and I'm here with my co-host. Captain J. Hello. We're the Pot Smoking Moms. We hope you enjoy our podcast. If you do, we would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, share. Sharing is caring. And be friends with us on all of our social medias. We have a nice little website for you, potsmokingmoms.com. That's where all the information is. Check it out. We're about to light up. Which I think is... I'm ready. Right, well, yeah, we're ready. We've been prepping the show, and we're ready to go. What do you got in that uh, bong of yours there? Captain I got Jay? a bowl of blueberry muffin from Sunnyside. Ooh. And I rolled up a little J with some pineapple upside down cake from True Leaf. So if you got them, cheers. Cheers. Got to make sure we're ready for all the maneuvering our new production takes. Yeah. We got a lot going on. Uh, But we're glad that you've made it and that you're going to hang out here with us for uh, the remainder of the show. We got a really nice interview with Jeffrey DeMond from The Grateful Veteran. He's a retired U.S. Navy senior chief. He's a 100% disabled veteran with over 20 years active duty service. He was injured late in his career after multiple deployments. He required several reconstructive surgeries to repair his ankles and shoulders. His medical conditions were treated with cocktails of opioids, benzodiazepines, and countless antidepressants. After seven, nine to nine years of being overprescribed harmful opioids, both on active duty and retirement, Jeff found a better way of life. He was introduced to cannabis and its use as medicine. By using cannabis as medicine, he has been able to stop the majority of his pharmaceutical prescriptions. He has been addiction-free since 2010 and continues to use cannabis to control his pain, PTSD, and depression. Since finding a better way to manage his conditions, he's been advocating for the use of medical marijuana and educating to break down the stigma that surrounds it. A passionate patient uh, rights activist, Jeff and his wife, Tara, founded The Grateful Veteran, a nonprofit designed to aid service members financially with their doctor visits and state fees. And so we'll have him at the end of the show. At the end of the show. And you that's a wonderful service. He Stick around for that interview. We uh, we learned a lot on how he's helping the veteran community community here locally in Florida. So make sure you stick around for that. Yeah, wonderful. And you can watch it as well if you're a patron. Just a reminder. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, become a patron. We got discounts coming up. And if you can't become a patron, hey, that's cool. Uh, you know, anytime you share or even if you go over to our podcast and review it, 
you know, we appreciate that. If you do decide to drop a couple of nice words as a review, send us over a little screenshot and we will send out some stickers for you. Yes, please. That would be very helpful. I don't have any updates again this week. I know, like right? nothing major. I feel like nothing. I mean, we're just preparing for school, getting ready to come back. Um, I'm supposed to go school shopping this weekend. I haven't gone oh, yet. Oh, yeah, it's tax-free for these Yeah, right weeks. now it's tax-free. I'd rather get it done now because then if you go later towards the end of the tax-free period, there's a lot of stuff. This, there's God. a lot less variety of things to choose right. from. So, yeah, that's getting ready to go back to school for us and... We have family members. Yeah, we're doing the, the, you know, we have family members in town before school starts. So we're trying to, you know, do all that before the madness begins. Yeah, and speaking of madness, we're going to go to everyone's favorite segment. News Nugs, where we get high and read weed news to you. Yup, yup. So, we're going to give you a quick update on the Brittany Griner situation. The Biden administration revealed on Wednesday, July 27th, that it has offered to release a Russian arms dealer being held in a U.S. prison in exchange for Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, two Americans imprisoned in Russia. So, that's where we are with that so far. Um, what I found interesting is that there's actually another person in Russia right now. Oh, there's another American, another American caught with weed in Russia, sentenced to 14 years in prison. Oh, wow. I didn't, I I wasn't familiar with this story, so I was surprised to see it. So Russia, 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 (laughs) (laughs) Russia will lock up a U.S. citizen for 14 years in prison for Half an ounce of pot. Half an ounce of pot. Half an ounce? Yeah. A United States citizen, teacher, and lecturer was slapped with 14 years of hard time in prison for a little bit of pot found. A little bit. Uh, I mean, it is a little bit, really. It's not that much. Yeah, it's not that much. Uh, A little bit of pot found in his luggage at an airport in Moscow, Russia. It's the latest move in a series of harsh sentences dished out on Americans in the country, including WNBA star Brittany Griner. On August 14, 2021, Mark... Hillard Fogel, then 60, was arrested at um, Retrigo Airport yeah. in Moscow, oh, whatever, their, their airport in Moscow. When half an ounce of weed, approximately 14 grams, in various forms was discovered in his luggage, Fogel was approved by a doctor in the United States for medical cannabis for chronic pain following a series of surgeries. The Fogels had been teaching abroad in places, including Russia, for years, but they were used to less security at that airport during previous flights. Something went terribly wrong, and Fogel told his wife he'd packed 14 vape carts and put some flour in a contact lens case. He thought he could get away with stashing some in his luggage for his trip back to Russia after a trip in the U.S. The Fogels were heading back to Moscow to celebrate Mark's 10-year 10th year of teaching the children of U.S. diplomats. Russian police discovered the weed and he immediately knew the country doesn't play games when it comes to cannabis, especially when it's a U.S. citizen. But Fogel assumed he'd be looking at deportation or some other punishment. Not a hard time. Fogel had already spent 11 months in various Russian detainment centers for his crime, 
But hearing the judge say 14 years was a crushing moment for Fogo and his family, the Washington Post reports. 14 years. That's uh, in, in a, a Russian in a foreign, prison. Yeah, in a Russian prison. That's insane. So there's a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach that Mark will be left behind, Jane Fogel said uh, to the Washington Post. It's terrifying. I would hope that President Biden and especially First Lady Jill Biden, who is an educator, realize the importance of including Mark in addition to Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. We can't help but make the connections to WNBA, WNBA star basketball player Brittany Griner, who is currently being detained for her crime of a couple of vape pens. Since Secretary of the State Anthony Blinken said there is a substantial proposal to, a, to free both Griner and another unjustly detained American, Paul Whelan, Fogel's family has hoped that he might not have to sit in prison for 14 years. Why not add a Fogel to it? I mean, this guy's a criminal that we're handing over. These people are just people. Yeah. Fogel was was fed like bowls of gruel and dried apricots, depending on what Russian prison he was in. Oh, he says that he wants in English someone. He says what he wants in English. Someone translates for him one of his cellmates, and depending on how good their English is and how accurate of a picture we get of what is happening, Anne Fogel said it's very convoluted and it's incredibly worrisome because we can't really have an honest conversation. Everything goes through censors. It's harrowing. Oh, my God. That's terrible. But Mark, he wasn't happy to hear Griner might be released before himself. That hurt. Mark Fogel wrote in a letter, teachers are at least as important as ballers. President Vladimir Putin ramped up punishments for citizens and tourists alike, including one particular new law that dishes out sentences for up to 15 years in prison for people who distribute false news about the Russian military. Russia has been accused of using prison sentences as a tool for exercising control over society by the Center of Eastern Studies. The Fogels are now calling for President Joe Biden to step in and get him out of Russian prison just as efforts are being made to free Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, CNN reports. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, U.S.-Russian relations have obviously been strained, to say the least. It's typical of Russia to rebrand normal U.S. citizens and athletes as drug pins, often allegedly with political motivations. Nearly 5,000 people have already signed a petition on change.org to free Mark Fogel from wrongful detainment in Russia. I've never even heard of this Mark Fogel. Story. I've never heard of him either. And quite frankly, I mean, like, look, I am all, you know, we've all want Brittany Griner back. Yes. But it's also kind of showing off the hypocrisy of the United States. Yes. In sense of like there's tons of people within the United States that are locked up in prison right now for, for nonviolent cannabis crimes, carrying a vape, a fucking a baggie of weed uh, or joint of weed. or whatever. Like an ounce in some and, states, and could be so we're big going out trouble. of our way. The whole government is like, granted, yes, go out of your way, but like, do let's everything you can do to bring some of that home, shit here. But you need to free everyone here. Yeah, too. like this is. I really feel. I like, mean, it is a Russian prison, a foreign prison. I mean, prison here sucks too. You can't really yeah. compare it, though. I mean, I would hope that whatever they do would help them also pivot here into a place where they need to. They yeah. need to start. Do, they need to start doing stuff here locally, and get people out of prison for something that people are making so much money from. Yep. So, so I hope you want to help support back. 
the chain, you know, releasing of Mark Vogel, I guess just share that story, make it vocal, tag, hashtag, maybe there's, I don't know if they have a hashtag for vocal, free hashtag Mark Vogel. Vocal for Vogel. <laughs> free Mark Vogel. Um, you know, and yeah, sign that petition, I guess, on change.org. You yeah. should be included in that trade. Definitely. So our next story, Senate committee holds hearing on cannabis decriminalization bill. Oh. A Senate panel met on Tuesday to consider a bill that would decriminalize cannabis at the federal level less than a week after the legislation was introduced by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and two Democratic colleagues. The bill, the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, was introduced on July 1st by... 21st. July 21st. I said first, huh? Uh Uh-huh. July 21st by Schumer, the senior senator from New York Senate Finance Chair John Wyden of Oregon and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. The Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime and Terrorism, which is chaired by Booker, discussed the legislation and heard testimony from witnesses as a hearing held at the nation's capital on Tuesday. Under the nearly 300 pages of legislation, marijuana would be removed from the regulation under the Federal Controlled Substances Act, where the drug is listed under the most restrictive Schedule 1, and states would be allowed to create their own cannabis policy. The measure would also establish a national tax on cannabis products. Hmm, I wonder how much a national tax would be. Expunge records of all federal cannabis convictions free the prisoners and allow all nonviolent cannabis prisoners to request resentencing as in let them the fuck out Booker, the chair of the subcommittee and the only black Senator on the Senate judiciary committee said that national cannabis prohibition has miserably failed and has led to a festering injustice of enforcement policy that is disproportionately targets black and brown communities According to a 2020 report from the American Civil Liberties Union, black people in America are almost four times more likely to be arrested for a cannabis-related offense when whites, despite despite relatively equal rates of pot use. Cannabis laws are unevenly enforced and devastate the lives of those most vulnerable, Booker said during the Tuesday hearing. I mean, we all know this. This has all been said a hundred million times. This is? Yeah. Witnesses testified to support cannabis decriminalization bill. Weldon Angelos, a former federal cannabis prisoner and criminal justice reform advocate, appeared before the subcommittee to testify in favor of the legislation. Sentenced to 55 years in federal prison for a first-time cannabis conviction and firearms possession charge, Angelos spent 13 years behind bars before being released in 2016. He told the senators at the hearing that expungement is a vital element of cannabis policy reform. Each arrest, prosecution, conviction, and sentence makes the world a little bit smaller for those bearing the modern scarlet letter, Angelos said, referring that what life is like for those with a conviction for a drug offense. Representatives of the law enforcement community also testified in favor of the legislation to reform the nation's marijuana laws. Edward Jackson Chief of the Annapolis Police Department told subcommittee that there is nothing inherently violent about cannabis. Jackson said that decriminalization would permit police officers to concentrate on more serious crimes and help restore the community's trust in law enforcement. I have spent far too much time arresting people for selling and possessing cannabis, Jackson testified. Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican from Missouri, lodged his opposition to the cannabis legislation bill and expungement 
arguing that the legislation would wipe clean the criminal records of illegal alien traffickers. When these criminals trafficked marijuana, they broke the law, Cotton (laughs) told his colleagues on the subcommittee. Whether some find that law unfashionable or even unfair, what they did was illegal. Yeah, but it shouldn't be illegal. Uh, cannabis industry reacts to the Senate hearing. Mason Tavert, partner of cannabis pol- policy consulting firm BS Strategies, told High Times after Tuesday's hearing that it is refreshing to finally see a significant discussion of cannabis policy in Congress upper chamber. History has shown that the more people talk about and hear about cannabis, the more quickly support grows for ending its prohibition. Uh, he wrote in an email. Hopefully there will be more to follow and members will have an opportunity to continue hearing about the many important aspects of this major policy issue from expungement and equity to the economics and public safety benefits of legalization. Ryan G. Smith, co-founder and CEO of online cannabis wholesome platform LeafLink, urged lawmakers to approve comprehensive cannabis policy reform at the national level. Level. For far too long, communities of color have been disproportionately harmed by unjust cannabis laws, Smith wrote in an email to High Times. Today's hearing was a step forward, and now it's time for Congress to take real action to end prohibition and support communities that have been unfairly targeted and left behind. But George Manchero, co-founder and CEO of cannabis industry lender Bespoke Financial, is not optimistic that meaningful cannabis policy reform measures will be approved in the near future. Noting that less controversial bills, such as the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, Act, which would allow banks to offer financial services to legal cannabis companies, have not fared well in the upper chamber of Congress. This hearing was an important step towards uh, towards federal cannabis legalization, but illustrated the long road still ahead. Passing comprehensive legislation is significantly harder than limited scope proposals, such as the Safe Banking Act, which stalled in the Senate numerous times, Manchero said in an email. The current political and economic environment will likely to continue to keep all such cannabis-focused bills on the fringe of political discussion and unlikely to pass anytime soon, but we hope that future hearings will drive the discussion towards the mechanics and timeline for federal regulation to provide greater clarity and transparency to the industry and to all stakeholders. So, yeah, they're still talking, talking, talking. Talk at least, at least talk it continues to be a conversation, but and they're. All- I mean, I feel like, yeah, the the talking keeps happening, but there's so so many things. It that- feels like that it's been forever, but really, it was only a few years ago where they really started seriously talking in Washington D.C. about making some changes federally, right? Since like 2019, you know, so like it's gonna happen. Maybe who knows when? Who knows when? Well, we'll be here waiting. Until then, we're going to now go to. I love you, Miami. I love it. We love that new intro. I love it. Oh, my God. It's I so hope that played cute. right. It looks like it stuttered a little at the beginning, but hopefully it played right in the hey. recording. Yeah. Hey, if you're a patron you're and getting you're enjoying to- these little. Please let us know. Please let us know. <laughs> Are your new pieces of candy, like I Jesse know, would say. Right. It's like, I'm going to make candy for your audience. <laughs> We're sprinkling the candy. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. 
I love that. I love that. <laughs> For those of you, Levon Hernandez, his little face Levon pops up. Levon Hernandez, yeah. It, it's you. great. It's great. All right. So, homeless moving to Virginia Key plan is controversial to say the least. Ugh. I didn't even, I saw this story this morning. On a TikTok, there, you know, but have you have you seen the shanty towns that line up like? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know Virginia Key, but I used to live out in. Uh, it's yeah uh, by the beach, and there was like a whole under the bridge. Yeah, or just lined up off of the express off of the expressway. There's like a shanty town of homeless people living in by the water. Yeah, so apparently the plan is to move them to Virginia Key. Okay, so Virginia Key Beach Park Trust says they were not consulted about the proposal, a pilot program aimed at building a community on Virginia Key for the city of Miami's homeless population is causing a stir. City Commissioner Alex De La Portilla, who first voted against the city of Miami hum- against the city of Miami Human Services Department transformation and transition zone report. Oh my god, it's a mouthful. Jesus. Flipped his vote at the last minute and helped it pass. We spoke to several community stakeholders from those who take families and children on eco tours on Virginia Key to an expert in the field of homeless outreach. Everyone said they have plenty of questions ranging from services to security. Adrian Massa is a psychiatric nurse practitioner with experience and a lot of questions about the city's plan to build 50 to 100 tiny homes for the homeless on Virginia Key. Mesa formerly worked as a Camillus House psychiatric nurse practitioner and has experience working to assist a chronically homeless population. In 2015, Christina Vasquez met with Mesa and a team of outreach workers. If someone is withdrawing from drugs and alcohol, there's there is, is there, there going, going to be, to be support? support? What kind of supportive treatment is going to be offered? Mesa wondered. Miami Commissioner Ken Russell rejects not Ken just Russell. a proposed location. I like Ken Russell. But the overall idea of isolating a vulnerable population. What you're going to have is homeless individuals who get dropped here by the dozen who are just wandering around Virginia Key with no services and no future, Russell said. Miami Commissioner Joe Garroyo, who suggested the idea that won approval in a three to two vote, said they will bring trailers to the site to offer services. I don't know on the average how long people will be here for whether it's a day or two days or more, but at least we're helping them from a situation that's deplorable on the streets, he said. He said trailers will offer services, and he said there will be security. Let's see. The proposed site is flanked by biking trails popular with the families that Bernard Frenchie Riviere designed and built with the help of volunteers. Most other cities would love to build parks, our city has a park and they want to build buildings to put people who live under bridges, Rivieri said. Esther Alonso is worried for her Yikes. staff. She runs Virginia Key Outdoor Center, which offers eco adventures to locals, children and visitors. The homeless encampment, she said, creates a public safety concern and she wa- worries about potential environment impacts, environmental impacts. There are habitat concerns. This is an area in recovery. Commissioner Manolo Reyes, who voted against the proposal, said he was surprised by his colleagues who voted for the proposal because they haven't seen a full economic impact analysis. Mm-hmm. Carroyo said his staff is creating a report that includes an economic analysis of not just the Virginia Key site, but other proposed sites. 
That report is expected to go before the city commission in September. So they voted on this without having like a full analysis and report on how it's going to affect the, the I mean, people Virginia that use that space. I mean, Virginia is also like, I don't know. I It's the way that it's set up. We've been out there for like, we've celebrated parties and we're going to hang out there by the beach. It's mm-hmm. really nice. I don't really see how that could be like a area where they could build something like no that. they have a designated area where it's being considered in that yeah tiktok video i saw that ken russell posted for ken for florida um i saw like the lot that they're planning on putting all the two tiny homes on, and it's off of like where the beach area and stuff is there's like around the corners like the beach there and then they just said down this article that the bike paths go by there oh yeah so a spokesman for the Homeless Trust told Local 10 News that the community had the lowest homeless numbers in 25 years in 2021 and that at last count, it is still among the lowest in the 28-year history of the trust. The next census is scheduled for August. So I guess that's good. You know, homelessness has gone down. Well, always we always welcome the opportunity to work with our partners at the city, and I appreciate their leadership in making this a housing proposal, said Ron Book, Homeless Trust Chairman. Local 10 News asked the Miami Police Department on how they plan to patrol the proposed area. So I highlighted this. So I'm Local 10 News and you're the police answering. Okay. Okay. All right. So Local 10 News asks, how will police work to keep families, children and tourists who utilize the same space safe? The city of Miami Police Department has always been committed to serving the community to the highest standards. We have a sufficient amount of police officers who patrol the streets of Miami around the clock in order to deter crime and respond to calls for service and as well as those that require immediate attention. Well, how will police be working to address the multitude of outreach services and resources the vulnerable population per resources and subject matter experts state is required? The city of Miami Police Department has its own program, HEAT, (laughs) Homeless Empowerment Assistance Team, geared toward addressing homelessness and issues surrounding the vulnerable population. (laughs) Additional officers, including those who work proactively in assigned neighborhood areas to address commonly reported issues, are always available to provide additional assistance when needed. That's how bullshit PR answers. Why is your police voice sound like, like a British? Like I don't know. Like I a don't know. Distinguished woman. Because <laughs> I was thinking she's like she's like the recording that they're playing. <laughs> okay, so um, Virginia Key is historic. You know, Patrick Range, the chairman of the Virginia Key Beach Park Trust, says that the trust was not contacted in advance, nor were they consulted about the. It transformation seems like everybody's just doing uh, whatever the fuck they want. You know, nobody's on how the same they page not, here. How do they not even contact the tr- like the trust that's in charge of like running the space? Like, why why don't we just show up and do a cannabis festival? Just you know, just show up and do it without telling anybody. Range issued a statement that in part said Virginia Key is the home to the historic Miami Marine Stadium and historic Virginia Key Beach Park, a cultural and environmental gem. Both sites are on the National Register of Historic Places. This historic beach park is governed by Community Trust and approved master plan. For two decades, the Virginia Key Beach Park Trust has worked to transform the 82-acre, it's huge, 82-acre historic beach park from an abandoned beach full of history to paradise renewed on Virginia Key. 
The park reopened in 2008 and the community and Virginia key stakeholders developed a master plan on the island in 2010. He continued, it's very disappointing that the city of Miami commission would move a discussion item of this magnitude and importance into an action item without consulting the trust and other stakeholders. I'm sure that communities that neighbor Virginia key and the thousands of families and tourists that visit the island daily would believe that there are more appropriate locations of the city to provide transitional services for Miami's homeless population. Oh my goodness. Virginia Key Beach became a cherished getaway social gathering place and even a sacred site for religious services for those who were not allowed to swim at whites only beaches. This I did not know. So where yeah, I didn't know this either. Uh we're showing a slide with some additional information here, but there's plenty of historical significance too in Virginia Key. It became known as the first colored-only beach in Miami during the Jim Crow era. By 1920, according to Virginia Beach Park Archives, Miami's beaches were public swimming facilities exclusively for the white population. There were unofficial expectations, and one of those was a special beach located on Virginia Key. Exceptions. Ex- I'm sorry, exceptions. Unofficial exceptions, yeah. And one of those was a special beach located on Virginia Key known as Bears Cut. Tourist brochure for Virginia Beach, circa 1960, during segregation. These pictures are from that brochure, I think. Right. So this is right. What we're showing is the tourist brochure for Virginia Beach from 1960, during segregation. Virginia Beach was used by African Americans for beach and waterfront activities. From 1945 through 1960s, it was legally designated for colored only. Closed in 1982, the property was placed under the management of the Virginia Key Beach Park Trust, which oversaw the renovation and reopening of the park to the public in 2008. Interesting. I really, I didn't know that history. I didn't either. Virginia Key. I didn't know there was so much um, history there. So the archives state, and, and you know, that's another TikTok that drew my attention to this story, is that Ken for Florida shared a tweet by uh, Luke. Uncle Luke. Uncle Luke. And he's like, I can't believe the city of Miami is trying to transform a historically, a historically black, black, beach black beach to a homeless community. Yeah. So the archives state that the property became an official colored-only recreation site as a direct response to a bold protest led, led by the late Judge Thomas. Under Thomas's leadership, black men defiantly entered the water with the intention of being arrested at exclusively White Baker's Hallover Beach in North Dade County. To avoid costly embarrassment, county authorities took no legal action against the protesters. Instead, they they acquit, I don't know that how to say that word. Acquested, acquested the protesters' demands for an officially designated swimming area for African-Americans, although only accessible by boat from a downtown dock on the Miami River, Virginia, Virginia Beach, a Dade County Park for the exclusive use of Negroes was open on August 1st of 1945. Wow. Well, I, guess, I mean, I guess we'll find out what happens, what the updates are on there eventually. But um, like if this is actually going to happen or not. Like, yeah, I don't It do sounds that. like they're I, I don't mean, think it's going to happen. It doesn't sound like they've been... It doesn't sound like everybody even knows what was the plans were. I still have news nugs up. We're not news nugs. We're in I Love You, Miami. (laughs) (laughs) The patrons know what we're talking about right now. (laughs) You'll see the caption change. (laughs) All right. So our next story for I Love You, Miami. This is a great story. I mean, I 
like have the yeah. utmost respect for this girl and I hate for this Matt young Gates. woman. Oh my I god! Think Matt Gates is and I put this and I love you, Miami, because even though she's a Texas active activist, he is from he's here. a Florida. Yeah, he's a Florida politician. Wow. So this story is fabulous. Don't mess with this Texas teen Houston activist body shamed by Representative Matt Gates raises one point six million for abortion access. FYI, go ahead, yay, go yay. <laughs> FYI, that is over two million now. But go by, since this story. Came oh out. yeah. Wow. Go Olivia. Yeah, she's fucking killing it. So when the Florida Republican launched a Twitter war with nineteen year old Olivia Juliana, she turned it into an opportunity to raise money for a cause she believes in. Mm. Four days after a nineteen year old Gen Z for change activist in Houston was body shamed by Florida rep Matt Gates on Twitter. She has raised more than $1.6 million for abortion access and counting. Over $2 million and counting now. The whole thing started when Olivia Juliana got wind of a crude and sexist comments made by the Republican congressman at a conference for conservative college students in Florida. This is what the motherfucker said, okay? Why is it that the women with the least likelihood, likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions? Gates asked at the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit. He's such a fucking tool. Nobody wants to impregnate you if you look like a thumb. These people are, people are odious from the inside out. They're like 5'2", 350 pounds. Piece of shit. Yeah, that man. guy is such a piece of trash. Paying so, for sex, too. This guy pays yeah. for sex. And he's, sex traffic, he's a pedophile. Right. Sex trafficking children. Uh-huh. But yeah, let's please... But she did not take it laying down. Juliana fired back on Twitter where she has more than 272,000 followers. I'm sure that has raised significantly (laughs) since then. And made it crystal clear that you don't mess with this Texas teen. She wrote, it's come to my attention that Matt Gates, alleged pedophile, has said that it's always the odious 5'2", 350 pound women that nobody wants to impregnate who rally for abortion, she wrote. I'm actually 5'11", 6'4", in heels. I wear them so small men like you are reminded of your place. Whoa, girl. What? Slap back. Gates is under federal investigation for sex trafficking, including trafficking underage girls. He has denied the allegations, but if you see this turd bucket... You know it's true. You know it's true. Gates responded with a screenshot of Juliana's profile picture with the caption, Danger Raised. Referring to a Newsmax headline that said his speech was sure to raise danger of his opponents. Juliana was just getting started. The teen who describes herself as loud and proud and Greg Abbott's arch enemy went viral with a TikTok video that has had more than 2 million views. That's when she decided to turn hatred into healthcare. In honor of Matt Gates publicly body shaming me, I'll be fundraising for the Gen Z for Change Abortion Fund. Juliana announced on Twitter. Gates raised her dander and the dander of abortion rights supporters worldwide, helping Juliana raise more than one million in 72 hours. My God, she freaking killed it. Sorry. (coughs) So as uh, word spread, donations piled up quickly and everyone from Hillary Clinton to other members of Congress 
to celebrities, including Busy Phillips and George Sakai, have expressed wow. support. So if you're watching as a patron, we put some of those tweets up on the screen. I like the one of her, like, like with her head, <laughs> like body slamming him or whatever, or him in a chokehold. <coughs> Excuse me. So are we on the right side number? There's one more slide. Go to the next one. Oh, there we are. All right. And then that's the busy Phillips and the other. Okay. okay. So at one point, Matt Gates is triggered and thanks Matt Gates were trending on Twitter. In an interview on MSNBC, Juliana said Gates and other politicians who attack her are actually doing her a favor by under by underestimating me and thinking that I won't be able to fire back as hard as I prove that I can. They are truly gifting me a national platform on a silver platter, she said. Supporters are calling Juliana brilliant, a rock star, inspiring, and a hero. She hopes to one day be called president. Yeah, that I love that story. I, I've been watching that over the last few de- few days and her reporting back the numbers, and I've just been so astonished. I'm like, fuck yeah, way to turn that shit around on that motherfucker. For real. That guy is such a fucking trash Gen stories like that give me so much hope like yeah. stories like that the mobilizing they did like when trump was campaigning and they would like like to get all the tickets the rally tickets and yeah. like you know distort the numbers mess with the website by buying stuff or whatever or doing stuff on his website yeah. like i love those stories <laughs> yeah for sure and i and, and they make us proud like yeah we got to keep fighting for this shit unfortunately but uh, you know at least we're still fighting Hey, we got a really good interview. Uh, we really hope you enjoy this interview with Jeffrey DeMond from, from The Grateful Veteran. Here it is. Can you give us a little bit of uh, background of how The Grateful Vet- Veteran came to be? Yeah, sure. Um, so so kind of goes back just as far as my retirement. I, reti- I did 20 years in the Navy and retired. Um, I had so many surgeries I can't even count in the last three years of my career. I left the Navy addicted to opioids to went back to Illinois and um, my family, just my cousin who was 25. So he was five years old when I left for the Navy. And so he's 25 coming back from college when I retired and he comes over to visit me and I was doing the whole opioid nod out, you know, heroin nod And uh, he said, what are you doing, man? You're killing yourself with these opioids. There's a better way you can use. He, he said, you can use hydro. You know, he, this was 2000. And, you know, you could smoke pot and get the same effects and just do some research. And it really, I, I used, I smoked when I was a kid, never really thought about medicinal purposes at all. But then um, I, uh, I started using cannabis and I researched it and it all came from Israel. So I tried it and was able to half my medication right away. Uh, Within two months, I went back to a a civilian doctor and saw my, my, I went back to Scott air force base and saw a doctor there and told him that I was going to use cannabis to come up with opioids. And he said, I don't think we could do that. And I handed him all this medicine back and, and, I just asked him if he would help me do this because I was going to continue to do it with, without 
with permission or without permission. I just stop coming to the doctor is what I tell them. I'll stop coming and try this on my own, but I'd rather you help me and I'll do all my blood work and everything. So I did that for a little bit and was able to drop all this. I dropped a hundred pounds. I came off of four shots for diabetes, all my blood pressure medication, um, all my psychotropics for PTSD, all my opioid medication, all my neuropathic pain medication. I take one diabetic pill every evening and I take nothing else. Um, and so I, I attribute all this to cannabis because that first time I used it with intent for medication. I felt this entire rush come over my body like, oh my God, I can't believe that I can medicate myself with this and feel better without all these pharmaceuticals. And once once I dumped the opioids, everything else just came naturally. So I was able to, you know, just get better. I was outside of my house. I was talking to people, moving around. I was I had a lot of pent up anger issues. Um, that cannabis helped me with. So <clears throat> I was in Illinois, which was a completely illegal state. And at the time, my wife and I were retiring. So we moved to Florida. Bam, Florida medical cannabis came to life. I got kind of hooked up with a doctor here in Cape Coral that, that explained to me and tried to teach me more about the plant as to why I was able to do what I did with cannabis. And at the same time, I was trying to advocate a little bit for um, some dispensaries to be allowed in different, different counties in Collier County. And at that time, I ran into a young Marine, a female who had a seven-year-old daughter, and she was going through her eighth knee surgery on the same knee because they messed it up. And she I went to a meeting to kind of garner support for me at my speaking at the county. And I met this young lady who was about to have a surgery and she was crying to me that she didn't want to go back on opioids because she can't be a good mom on opioids. And she wanted to try cannabis, but she didn't have the money to see the doctor or pay the 7775 to the state. <clears throat> Before I moved to Florida, my sister died of a heroin overdose. Since I've retired in 2006, I've had six family members pass from drug alcohol abuse. So sorry. In addition to that, I've had at least six family members go to recovery and come home. Um, I didn't use a recovery. I used the plant. And it, it's important to me to be able to break that stigma down and talk, talk about this and how I was able to do that and save not just my life, but I know other people that I've saved um, because of the same thing, being able to break that opioid cycle. Um, so that's really how I got started was that young lady saying, I, I, I don't have a doctor. And I said, well, I'll find you a doctor that'll see you for nothing. And I, so I talked to my doctor friend and he saw her for nothing. And then she said, well, I'll wait a couple of weeks and save the money and pay the state. And I thought, well, I'll just not go out to eat eat, you know, I'm 100% disabled and I'm retired. Uh, I still feel like I'm in service. I feel more valuable now actually to veterans than I did as a senior chief in the Navy, just because I know what I'm doing now is uh, really, really good for them and, and heartfelt for me. And um, it's not an agenda of any sort, but so I, I, just and you've been through it. so just, much. You've lived through I, so much of it. So it's like you yeah. have firsthand experience, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, and so by doing that, I just paid for her her seventy five dollars state fee, and that kind of launched uh, me into this thing. Like, man, this is a need. There's really a need out there. So I tried to join a couple of veteran groups here in Florida. Um, nobody really wanted to do anything down here in Southwest Florida. It's an older community. I don't really distinguish that. You know what I mean? That that doesn't matter really to me. Um, so I just kind of started my own thing and started doing events and going places and talking and speaking. I got involved with the college, um, with those few different magazines. I've been to the National Cannabis Festival and been on panels up there for veterans. I've been to Canadelics, uh, Cannabis Psychedelics Conference twice and spoke on panels there. I speak on panels all over. Anytime I was trained as a weatherman in the Navy, right? Although that's not everything that I did, but I was trained to talk to people, especially if I have a captive audience. So once I get on a good roll about my story, uh, I, I really let it loose. And I tell people the truth. Like I told my doctor, I'm addicted to opioids. He said, ah, you're just over medicated. Um, I told him, yeah, well, I'm over medicating by crushing them up and shamming them up my nose. How's that for over medicated? You, you, wow. you want to tell me that? You know what I mean? I'm being real with you. Yeah. Like that's you know a cry for you. help. You need to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I normally, so I, I'm emotional and uh, I'm glad because before <clears throat> on opioids, I was, I looked like this, right? Everywhere I go, I look like this and I was real close to this and that's no way to live my life. And now I like to smile and let people feel me. And if I cry during my story, that just tells you how valid it is for me. Because it's a struggle for a lot of people, and it's not as easy for some as it was for me. Uh, you really have to get your mind around what's happening to you and be able to push medicine to the right and use cannabis or plant medicine, even psilocybin, and, and be able to push that pharmaceutical stuff away a little bit. And, and what it did for me was give me the hope that I could do it. And once I had a little bit of hope to do it, I just, I just pressed for more knowledge and I learned about tinctures and uh, extracts and concentrates and CBD changed my life. I was, I thought, ah, CBD gets you not high. That's what I don't want. Right. So once I was in Florida and I hooked up with this doctor, <clears throat> he put me on some CBD and I was taking a dropper full every night. My swelling went away. The aches in my hands went away. That's when I was able to actually cut my neuropathic pain medicine was when I started CBD. And he said, that's because CBD has a neuropathic, it's a regenerator. It helps your nerves and neurons refire and rebuild. So all of, all of it makes sense. So when I learn these things and I experience these things, I repeat them. <laughs> I go and tell my story. And, you know, I do like, other people's cannabis events and I'll just set up my little, my booth and sell my t-shirts to raise money for what I do and lecture and just start talking. And I see people gather around because they're thirsty for knowledge. Uh, in the cannabis industry, you get fed with a fire hose and it's hard to drink out of a fire hose for sure. So I just try to be as real about what I do as possible and hope 
you know, I always end with, I'm medicated right now. So if I was medicated the way the Navy or the VA had me medicated right now, this would have never happened. This conversation would never happen because I would already been somewhere in my mind mad or somewhere else just entirely. Um, Nodding off. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, Totally. So it's important to talk about that, being medicated, using cannabis in pieces all day long. You know, like I elevate first thing in the morning to a certain level of wellness so that so that I'm ready, because if I get out of. If I get my day started on the wrong foot, it's a bad day and there's no reason to have bad days. Right. There's nothing wrong with euphoria. I tell people that I think we've come to our life. We're like, man, you got to have a rough day. You got to come home and say, oh, today sucked. Like you have to deserve it. Like you have to. Yeah, Yeah, you have to work for it. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, everyone deserves a little euphoria. Right. So why not? You know, that's that's the side effect of my medicine is some euphoria. And I like it. I like to be a little bit happy. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. makes me feel better through the day. It hel- it's like a rain X. It helps uh, the water roll, the, the bad right. stuff roll like off a little dog. bit. Right off my back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, for sure. <clears throat> and so no. in addition to, you know, helping veterans get their card, that's so mentally valuable for me in my recovery to be able to, to, to do that for someone. Uh, it just, it heals me because I wasn't always super, you know, I wasn't always like the grateful veteran. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had a period of time where I'm not real proud of the things that I did. And so not that I'm trying to get back something, I'm just trying to be better than I was yesterday. That's it. Yeah. Not, not better than anyone else. Just better than than I was. That's it. And I'm and I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's a good that's a good thing to have. Is you're thirsty to be a better human. I think everybody needs to have that kind of thirst and desire to like want to constantly get better. And sometimes and help other people. And yeah. right, well. that's that's what it's all about. Yeah. So to date, I think we've qualified. I don't know somewhere over five hundred veterans since 2018 that's amazing that's fantastic yeah now Uh, what kind of things do you guys do to raise um the funds to help your veterans and and get in contact with doctors that are willing to provide pro bono services so i attend i attend cannabis festivals all over the state and um and and vend like a table i set up a table grateful veterans swag I, I have little nug jars and stickers and all kinds of stuff that I give away. The dispensaries give me things and I have like a raffle, spin the wheel kind of thing. You can win prizes or whatever. And I just take donations that way. I also, I, I fancy myself as uh, in the military, they wanted us to help build the community around us, right? So that's what I kind of feel like my mission what the community is, is for the community to understand cannabis is medicine. So I do community events. Like I throw uh, an event with music, all day music. And I have vendors from all the different dispensaries and a few doctor's offices there. And they donate money to me to have these events. And then we raise money at the event to 
uh, you know, to get money for the Grateful Veteran. And, you know, we just have things like that. And most of them are around education. Um, I did a, uh, <clears throat> I did a cannabis carnival at FGCU with uh, the student body. I was part of the war on drugs class. They needed some 40 hours of service learning. So we tasked these kids with learning about cannabis, terpenes, effects, uh, DUI versus cannabis, DUI, you know, impairment, Um, just a bunch of different things. And then we had a taco eating contest. We had a reggae band and we had kind of the, you know, I like to mix the culture and the community together so that there's an understanding that what that turns out is a veteran that's not afraid to use cannabis, you know, because of the, what everyone else thinks about it. And, and in between these, mu- these, most of the musicians, I've got them hooked up with a doctor that would see them. So they're all advocates for me, call it team green. Like if I walk into someplace and one of my guys is playing music, they stop, Hey, let's give a shout out. There's the grateful veteran <laughs> part of Team Green. This guy qualifies veterans for cannabis. Yeah. So <clears throat> that stuff makes that swells me up. Like, man, I'm doing. You know, this is great. <laughs> I love it, and it makes me feel so good. Like I, I tell people, I don't not answer my phone because I never know who it's going to be on the other end. I get so many spam calls; it's ridiculous. But I don't want to miss out on one. You know, that's what I feel like. Is you know. I, I qualify three to five veterans a week right now. And it's just me, my wife, and a couple of volunteers that help me out from time to time at, at different, um, at different events and things. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, play them down because there's a group of people that stand me up when, when I'm, I'm 56 and I've been rebuilt. I'm old. It's hard for me to do this. And there's a group of people that come out and support me and stand me up. And, you know, help me out through all this stuff. So it's not, I don't want anybody to think that it's just me running through, you know, running through the crowd and being a hero. That's not, that's not the game. And let me me tell you another thing that happened wonderful in the veteran community of cannabis. We represent everyone, whether it be uh, race, religion, sexuality. It doesn't matter. They're in the veteran community. And in two, in, when, when COVID happened, a friend of mine started a happy hour Zoom meeting. And all these different cannabis guys popped up on this Zoom meeting. And we were discussing these things. And we learned that there are other people out there doing the same things. So now we got this big giant network of all of us like-minded people in the mil- who were in the military and are different colors, different religions, different races, different sexualities, everything. And we're all talking about the same thing. And it makes, it makes us very, very powerful. And we realize that. So we know our worth now and it's spreading fast. Like I just had one of my friends that I've spoken at the national cannabis festival in, in, uh, in DC. He was just invited to the same Canadelics conference that I was at. So I got to see him over in Miami, whereas normally we just talk on Zoom. It was, it, it's great. It's really, it's really great. Whereas for a while, um, I thought maybe there were just a few groups out there promoting cannabis. And it's really important to catch them, catch young veterans when they just get out of the military before they get stuck in a hole. 
you know, and the VA accepts cannabis use. The VA accepts it. You can talk to your doctor about cannabis use. But they're okay, not yeah, that telling, was going to be my next question. Like, that was the question. Yeah. But they're not telling the kids when they're getting out. Right. So they're not forthgiving with the information. It's kind of right. like they could do it, got, but it's still hush hush because nobody wants right, to. Right. Right, right. So there's no right. chance of them losing their VA benefits no. if they decide to use cannabis no. medicine. O- o- only in states that it's not legal. Where it's not legal. If okay. Even if it's recreational, they've come to say that veterans are going to use this as medicine in these in these recreational states and we can't stop them. So, and that, and then that led them to two months ago coming out. So it had been like that for a few years. They, they weren't allowed to advise you and they weren't allowed to tell you that you could or couldn't use cannabis, right? A couple months ago, they came out and said, this is ridiculous. If we're treating the veterans, we need to know if they're using cannabis. So because there are no retributions, we would like for you to be forthcoming with your cannabis use. Now, I'm always forthcoming. I wear this in the VA just so that I can (laughs) have a conversation. And lucky for me, I have had a lot of people who are active in the local VA here. And I bring them my cards, a stack of cards, and they'll go in and drop them places. And I know people that you're not supposed to recommend or whatever like that, but there are counselors that will say at the end of their session, and I've qualified these people, this counselor, um, I've got them their medical card. At the end of his session, he'll drop a stack of my business cards and say, this guy might be able to help you with something that I can't. And then I'll get a flood of phone calls that just checked in the new system and at the VA and I'll get four dudes that say, hey, this guy gave me a, you know, I'm interested in trying cannabis as medicine. And boom, that's where it starts. And then then we educate them. You know, I talk about just like this, you know, as openly as I can about all the things that I can uh, without overwhelming them with the medicines. Most, most of the guys understand. It's the Korean War and up that we have difficulty with. Uh, explaining the medicine or like for the older guys the, oh, yeah, yeah yeah right because yeah. i think i feel like when they're younger this they've already hard. Uh, but it what hard. right it, and it and it lasts it's I mean it's been a whole you know they've their whole life yeah exactly yeah. these young guys i mean they're still closer to the age where they're curious and try stuff so they probably are closer to that age when they tried it before Right. Right. Yeah. Or they're a little more, you know, open to trying things. And I feel like you're right. You need to be especially once they I feel like veterans get so kind of like left out to dry. The system kind of forgets them and doesn't appreciate them as much as they should because of all the, the stuff that they've done for our country. But uh, I feel like, yeah, uh, soldiers need a lot of support. Like once they, they come out of the military, you know, like you, they yeah, need no, that. It's, it's super important. I think that, you know, can I, these are, these are things that I repeat a lot because I think it's important, um, especially for veterans. That's exactly what you just said. When I walked away from the service, there's only three people that I still contact that I actually worked with in the military. Everyone I know now is all new veterans. You know what I mean? And when I left the military, I was so over-medicated and in such a bad mental, physical, emotional state that I, I had no one. 
So that camaraderie that I saw every day going into the military with to talk to my guys, you know what I mean? My troops. Yeah. I had 250 people that worked for me at one time and then boom, nothing. So yeah. to lose that camaraderie is very hard. Now, cannabis brings that back, mm-hmm. especially among veterans, because, okay, so for me, I used to take 13 pills in the morning, nine at lunchtime and 15 at dinner, four shots for diabetes. Okay. Wow. Now I break down this flower. I just break it, break this little flower down. And I'm, I'm like so into it that I, I can, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing it move, you know, how it's fresh and it kind of melts a little bit Mm -hmm. and I can feel it on my fingers and it's sticky and I can smell it while I'm doing it and I'm pulling it off the stem. And even right now I have goosebumps because that whole process, that whole time I'm doing that, I'm thinking I'm about to relieve myself. I'm about to relieve myself. And that's part of my therapy. When Florida didn't have flour in it, that's what I talked about. I said, you know how empowering it is for me to give up a grocery sack full of medication that the VA would give me? They were mailing me 270 oxycodones, tens a month. And I was on 120 milligrams of morphine. I was on 80 milligrams of oxycontin, 120 milligrams of morphine, oh six milligrams God. of colonopin a day. And they would mail it to my house. And now I can use this flour and break it up and get, and get the same relief and cut out all those pharmaceuticals. It, it's so empowering for me to be able to do that. And in, in the veteran community, to be able to share that knowledge and that medicine amongst ourselves, I know you're not supposed to share your medicine, but you know what it feels like for me to be able to break that flower down and give what helps me to someone else? Oh my God, it's so, it's what yeah. we, that's it's, why we it's so social culture. too. I it mean, it's just so in social. general, it just, it, it brings people together. We've said it so many times. It brings so many people together and just feeling that alone is so great right that's kind of like it makes you like it's like we like smoking on our own that's you know we we don't need to always smoke with people but it's so nice to like come together and you know it's part of the culture too share a joint have a good conversation sure sure. and it always leads to something else like you know people will go oh dang i never did i don't do dabs in the morning and i'm like well why not why don't you do dabs in the morning (laughs) i mean it's not like you have to do a a tablespoonful you can do a little dab in the morning you know what i mean mm-hmm. i just talk to people like that and they're like what i'm like well why don't you eat cannabis what do you mean eat cannabis well i just take this to it and put it on my finger and eat it they're like what like you don't have to have it in a gummy you can just <laughs> eat it you know mm-hmm. what i mean and when i'm real like that i can really see it in their eyes like they're they're, they're like they're going what wow wow i can do that so i don't have to cook with that I don't have to make brown. No, you don't. I mean, because if I make a pan of brownies, I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. I'm, I'm eating a whole pan of brownies. I don't care how medicated they are. <laughs> I want the brownies. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that's yeah. my thing about edibles. You don't have to have all that stuff with it. It's fun to eat a brownie or whatever. My personal favorite is Rice Krispie Treats. I like the way cannabis tastes with marshmallows. It's really delicious. Man, you know, but, I yeah. haven't had a rice so crispy tea in your, a long time. But, what's your ugh. preferred, uh, you know, way to consume cannabis? Flour, dabbing, joints, so, bombs? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm I like I like the flower. I like the flower uh, a lot. Um, probably a six cone a day guy, but but I dab. I dab too, and I I use tinctures every night, and I use I have uh, I eat a fifty milligram uh, indica capsule at night to help me sleep instead of the clonopin that they had me on. You know what I mean? So. I, I, the modalities, I, I'm the rainbow. I do it. Anyone that you can think of, I vape to escape. I keep a vape pen with me. So in case I can't smoke or something and I need to be medicated, I use my vape pen. You know what I mean? There are really good vape pens out there. You can get some, you know, live resin vape pens even. So it's not like you can, you can, I tell people, you can stay medicated as you want and you can still function and do you know i try to i try to be professional so that so that it does help break that stigma down like you folks right now i mean we can do this and and you know have like conversations and not be blubber 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 blubbering yeah totally we smoked right before i got a great piece of glass from um a local smoke shop that donated to me um but it's a it's a cheech marin glass oh yeah people's glass uh-huh. and i just did a couple rips off that beautiful bomb <laughs> right before we did this so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I really like the space and the uh, the cannabis space. And when I say that, I'm not like, I don't consider myself like a business person in this space. Although, you know, I guess you have to run your nonprofit kind of like a business, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not out trying to make a bunch of money or be somebody special. I'm just trying to help people. And when they call me, I help them. I I say what I'm going to do and I do it. That's what's kept me around for four years now. Um, when what? there have been some, you know, different groups come and go and it's nothing wrong with that. And people do things to help veterans all over the state. It's not like it's just my calling, but I, I have a, I have a special place in my heart because it helped me so much, you know, what's the I, hardest I enjoy, part. What do you think is, that? What do you think is the hardest part of, of doing this? <clears throat> the hardest part for me doing the Grateful Veteran is asking people to support me financially. Really, it's hard for veterans to ask for help. First of all, it's, hard, it's super hard for them to ask for money. Yeah, You know what I mean? They don't go to the doctor, let alone ask somebody, tell somebody that they're they need, they need money. I've learned recently that I'm not, I don't, I'm not asking for me anymore. I'm asking for others now gives me a, my, my throat chakra has opened up quite a bit. So makes it easier. To, so you're yeah, like, I'm yeah. not doing this for me anymore. I'm doing no, it for I'm everybody it for else. Me. Yeah. Right, right. Don't think that don't I want no one to make any mistakes to think I'm doing this for me in any way. I, I, I mean, I'll, show you my bank account right now it says 7775 OMMU 7775 OMMU that's what it you know I get a couple incomings and it all goes away just like that and and I'm happy with that that makes me okay which sometimes makes people think oh they're doing fine just because it brings me joy 
doesn't mean that I have enough money to do what I want to do. Right. I mean, if somebody somebody dumped $20,000 on me, oh my God, the Grateful vet, Veteran would explode. You know, there would be so many things. Like I'm coming out with a, I did a calendar before. You've seen the pictures on the website. website. <clears throat> I did a calendar where you could cut out the picture. The calendar was on one page and the picture was on another page. Each page was separate so that you could cut the picture out and frame it. And I sold them for $25. And I made I made money off of selling those calendars to help the Grateful Veteran. It didn't cost me $25 to get them made, but you know how that kind of stuff right, works. Yeah, yeah, so I'm yeah. going to do that again come, come Veteran's Day. I think I'm going to add a couple of pictures. I had a local artist do them. Um, he's super, super talented. You've seen the pictures. <clears throat> I'm going to add one like a, it looks like Uncle Sam. Only it's me <laughs> holding, the bowl, <laughs> holding the bowl out saying, I want you to feel better. You know what I mean? Uh, that one. And I think we're doing like uh, another another sailor one that's called the Lone Sailor. It says you never have to be lonely with cannabis. <laughs> Let so, me ask you uh, this. Never, she's yeah. always there. Talking about like, you know, ways to fund uh if if there is an event happening and you, we and you know they want to get you involved in order to like try to you know because i feel like yeah. every time you do events it's good to have someone to donate to and someone sure, in the community sure, sure. just yeah, to yeah. just yeah. to bring another element to it how Absolutely. how do you go about doing that so so there have been events like uh, let me think uh was it canna fest up in Port Charlotte, and then the the one they did, they, they donate to me quite frequently. They'll do some sort of event where they the take potlucks, money from the that. Sarasota yeah, or that kind of thing. Yeah. Potluck, SRQ Potluck. Yeah, yeah he's been super, yeah. super, super supporter of me. Yeah, we're gonna have and him he, on the show too. We've done yeah, stuff for him, and yeah. we yeah, he, he, he's he's helped me out a couple of different times with donations, you know, from the event or from what they've done. I don't know if you've seen the Hemp Olympics. Uh-huh. Okay, so the Hemp Olympics, I'm one of their donors. They don't donate to me from that. The money they raise from the Hemp Olympics, portion of that comes to me as well. So people people do make me the, the point of their fundraising. But, like, I'm qualifying. I, I, I need to make about $1,000 a month doing stuff to keep my my average going. I don't want to tell somebody no. Um, so I'm always doing something somewhere at some event, whether it be an opening for a dispensary or the local the local smoke shops anniversary or the college wants me to speak out there or Canadelics or the event up and, you know, the, I, I do as many as I can get my hands Or pot smoking mobs reach out to you and like, right, hey, come on sure. our podcast. I love, it. I love it, though. I love it. You know, I really do. And, you know. I think it's great. This this gives me hope that other people are doing good things out there, right? I just because there are some negative things in our in our, in the cannabis, and there there are good reasons that people have bad feelings about corporate cannabis because they've been a little slimy. And I don't want anybody to think I'm in bed with any kind of corporate cannabis, but because I, I try to say I'm inclusive, not exclusive. I'm not signed any contracts with anybody so I can be involved with everybody. I think mm -hmm. that's really the only way to make it medical is, you know, I often go into 
dispensaries. And when I ask, I just start having a conversation with them. Like, Hey, if, if you didn't have this, what would you tell somebody? Would you try Would And I want to see if they'll say, well, I'd try to sell them Indica capsules or I'd tell them to go over two blocks over to cannabis. They got what you need. I know they do. Do you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. what the medical program is really about. They should, they should want to tell the patient, what he needs to have the experience that he's looking for and not try to basket size them up, up, upsell them to something that they don't need and may have a bad experience on. Well, right? and it's especially yeah. important for veterans. I feel like too, we need to make corporate cannabis work in our favor as much as we can, because at the end of the day, the little guys like us, we don't have the capital to do these big things that these companies are doing. So if we can get them to do things in our favor while spreading the correct message, because, you know, yeah, everybody always some some everybody's got skeletons in their closet. But, you know, like we support a petition to let to not put a cap on trees like you know a lot of dispensaries but when when you start seeing the kind of bills that they're backing the kind of petitions that they're backing you kind of see like what's real what's you know like what who's who's doing what i mean they have a reason for it right they're trying to make money off of it so they're gonna do whatever they can to control it in their favor but you know, you take a look at the dispensary and what what they're what kind of stuff they're backing, and then you can make the decision on like how you present that. You know, sure. you be real the way you be real to everybody. Yeah, no, and I think that like you know, even and even though we've voted on different things and the legislators put in place everything that we're supposed to do with cannabis, that special session that they just had and changed the rule of thirty five on your flower and all that. Nobody voted on any of that shit. That just happened. That was just a press of the button. I was going to ask you about that too. They're just going to arbitrarily change the way we're going to view our 35. It's like going in front of the judge and say, we interpreted it this way. Not this way. Not 35 days from the start. You can buy two and a half and two and a half, you know, in a five day period. Yeah. Which is, you know, you could do that and have four, four and a half ounces. You, you could have smoked a half ounce in five days. But what the, what it's done for me is made my veterans that don't want to go outside the house, they have to go, and if they're flower consumers, they got to go to the dispensary once a week, mm-hmm. uh, buy a half ounce on the same day, every week yep. for that 35 days to stay in flower. If you one time buy a pre-roll, it throws your whole thing out of whack. Yep. And, and what it what it, what it does is turns people to the black market or the traditional market. What and not I'm not trying to say, but if you want to have a medical program, I'm right. not saying that's good or bad. If you're trying to push a medical program, don't make it hard for people to get the medicine. Right? It's right. so frustrating. I mean, you feel that maybe the, this this limit on just the flour is just trying to push people to buy other products instead of so much flour. Like, if you have to do that, you're probably, okay, let me also get some. Well, I mean, I feel like it's also there. Also get some tinctures or whatever, because. Well, you know, not everything works for everybody the same way. Like what we talked about before yeah. about breaking down that flower. There's a ritual of smoking cannabis. 
people have been smoking cannabis the same way for thousands of years. So there's something to the whole smoke thing. Why does it help people with uh, Chromes and IBS more? When they smoke cannabis, that helps them more than when they ingest cannabis, right? So who is the legislator to tell me How to that I should it. use other modalities? Do you know what I'm saying? That's why we fought so hard for flour is because it's the traditional way of smoking or using cannabis, right? I, mm-hmm. I feel like the harm far outweighs, I mean, the, the good far outweighs the harm in smoking yeah. cannabis. So I, I just think it's people who don't understand the need and the usage that make these that make these arbitrary decisions at special sessions and it gets put it's through. people who are still stuck in the past and they're letting yeah. all of that propaganda and it's been giving yeah. it's been lining their pockets with money because yeah. it's continuing a system that doesn't work for only the people at the top with all the money yeah I mean, unfortunately do you remember the 10 percent thc cap what, oh my what, god oh yes what was that what stupidity is that because I mean, was, and that's why at the end of the day all these that. limits and caps and, and rules and that's just, why just free the plant hundred right. percent just to create give it back to the people like it was thousands of years ago as okay. it should be. Okay, so the first <laughs> here here let's get real then. The very first thing I did when I got out of the navy was buy some house plants because. I set my alarm for Monday, Wednesday, Friday at eight o'clock in the morning because I wasn't likely to get out of bed three days in a row. So by setting my alarm to go water my plants, got me out of bed until I found cannabis. And I'm talking about just regular house plants. Imagine if I was growing my medicine, how energized I'd be, right? Yeah, because how there's a, yeah. Power and how much. Oh, it gives back to me. Yeah, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Yeah. It just, it's ridiculous that they even, it's money. No, they can't figure out how to get their hands on the money. And when I say they, it's everyone. It's, right. every, it's everyone involved. It's and, not just one person or anything. It's it's them collectively. Right. The mon- money, money hungry people can't yeah. figure out how to get their hands or their people in the right positions to let it, to let it fly free. They want to get the most. They want to do. They want to get the most convenient parts out of it. They still want to use it to imprison people and whenever they want to, right? Because yep. they right. could do that whenever. Yep. But right. they still want to be able to make money off of it, right? So, right. you know, they want to eat their cake, and Absolutely. that's why we we really want whenever the whenever it gets to a place where there's a law that is passed for it to be recreational. We don't want them to cap plants we don't want them because you can walk into we always use this not that it's like well not that i I also say i can never compare you can never compare alcohol to weed but you don't you don't count how many handles of vodka someone's buying at the store i really don't listen they don't even ask you at some places if you're on opioids i mean they don't restrict your driving or I was going to I was going to amphibious assault warfare school on I don't know how many milligrams of oxycotton and Valium and Vicodin and shit that I was on but as long as I didn't fall asleep I was good that was pretty much the rule and 
And if you think about that today, if something happens, unless you're like driving a forklift or a truck or anything like that, and you're on some sort of painkiller, you can still, you still go to work. That's a central nervous system depressant. The, the whole, the, it doesn't just pick and choose what pieces to suppress. It suppresses the whole thing. You know what I mean? And we all, we all know how dangerous opioids are. It only takes like three days to become addicted. And so they say 22 veterans a day commit suicide, right? I was in such a bad place mentally, emotionally, and physically dependent that the way I was using those opioids, I really didn't care whether I woke up the next day or not because I would just do what I did yesterday all over again until oblivion. And if I, if there was one that next day I didn't wake up, it wasn't really that much on my mind. So there's a whole group of veterans like that, that pass away from opioid use overdose or just die that they don't call it an overdose. It was accidental overdose or whatever. They don't count that as suicide. That's a failure to thrive. That's that's, that's grown adults getting out of the military and, and not thriving because they're stuck on opioids or other, some, or some other pharmaceutical that's impairing them. And that's why I try to talk about it, because it's important, especially for veterans. I was 39 years old doing exactly what my doctor told me to do. And I was fucked up i couldn't i I was non-functioning as an as a normal human being i would have outbursts in the middle of walmart i mean it was just it was not it was not a good time in my life and that was a seven eight year period of, of massive amounts of opioid use it was right in the middle of the addiction cycle from 2001 i stopped my last opioid 2010 um, 2008 is where I started my, my break. That's when I started breaking my habit down from 2008 to 2010. So for eight year period, seven, eight year period, I was on biking into the top <laughs> and, uh, there was never a talk about me exiting. There was no, Hey, you know, we need to slow your opioid intake or this, these are bad for you or nothing, nothing, no, zero communication like that i mean because in the end of the day they're also helping line the pockets of all these pharmaceutical companies that that, and i I think about it like this if you think about it in asset and liability so while i was in the navy i was an asset so it's it, it was in their best interest to keep me around because i was doing things for them after i retired i'm 100 disabled i'm drawing a retirement paycheck that's 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 quite a significant chunk of money that they send me every month to take care of me and I do nothing for them. So I'm, now I'm a liability. So what difference does it make to them if I'm over medicated is, is the way I, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. Like they're trying, they were trying to kill me that like, but no, but it makes systemic. sense. Yeah. It's I mean, systemic. it's like racism. It's just, but if the, it feels like you know, the cup of meds you get when you come back from, being in the military, take these and go home. Right. Yeah. If, it's do. like, but I feel like that's, yeah, they're throwing medicine at it because that's the easiest way to just get rid of the issue. Yeah. 
and they think that too you know you're it'll it'll appease you yeah 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 you're oh go ahead i was gonna say you're just you another element that you bring is a hopefulness and i feel like it's 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 so great especially for the younger people too coming out of the military like just the hopefulness that you give them is is so important exactly what cannabis provided me um was that hope 100 percent. i mean you people feel it every day on an and various individual basis it's like if you go out and have a bad day and you haven't been able to get to your medicine at all and you come home and smoke and you feel that ah man (laughs) that first time that i consumed cannabis with that thought of helping myself medically because intent is very important especially Mm -hmm. with the coming of age of psychedelics right if you, that's if you what was my bunch, question was going to be. <laughs> if you eat a bunch of mushrooms and go watch the wall or something. Your intent is to be tripping on the movie, right? If you eat a handful of mushrooms and put an eye patch on and listen to some sound bowls or Tibetan music or whistles or whatever the whatever you want to whatever kind of music you want to listen to and lay in a quiet space and see what comes up, then you're doing then you're doing some work with intent. Like you have intent to, to, to find some things, right? And with magic mushrooms and other psychedelics, it allows veterans to experience things that may have been traumatic to them and slot them in places like, oh man, just like this memory. I just saw a black man. Oh, all this bullshit just happened to me in the military. And it's the same kind of memory instead of going, Oh, all this bullshit happened to me. All this bullshit happened to me and get hung up on it. It allows you to kind of slot that over so that I feel like I tell my wife, like I need to do a reset and I'll do, you know, a a larger amount than, than a micro dose. Um, A therapeutic dose. Right. A therapeutic dose. Right. To kind of, to kind of like, uh, let me reconnect myself because that's what I feel like it does to me is makes me reconnect. I feel more like me when afterwards, you know, um, so yeah, that's the, that, that's a lot of good therapies coming out of that. I mean, ketamine is legal. You can get a ketamine treatment. Um, back in the day, it was a street drug called special K you can research it and find out those kind of things. And it's a little bit, maybe more intense of a, of an experience, but I know several doctors in the area and have offered me veterans to be seen there and get ketamine treatments for free. And, and ketamine is one of those drugs where like after two sessions, you don't smoke anymore. You don't drink anymore. It's whatever those intents that you were trying to set out to, you can get rid of that. And so people talk a lot about set and setting. You know, you can go, you can take, you can take some mushrooms and go to a music festival, or you can take mushrooms and lay in a quiet space listening to some music, right? Set and setting. Oh, intent and intentions are just as just as important, right? To to have a good experience, you right. have to have, intend to do something well. Go ahead. I mean, that's when, too, that's when people are like, oh, do they have good intentions or bad intentions? Right. Because someone could say something nice to you with bad intentions. Right, right, right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you do it's 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 a therapy. You you set it up so that you can experience it the way you want to, you know. 
anytime anybody's asked me about doing shrooms or any psychedelic, I, I always say it's always about the setting and the mindset you go into it yeah. and what, what you intend for that experience. Right. And then, so one, after you do those, I, and I learned this at this Canadelics talking to these professors of psychedelic therapy and stuff, they talk about after your experience, your psychedelic experience, there's a period of time when your mind is free to relearn the things that you already know without those bad habits or intents or thoughts, or you just kind of have to practice some stuff. Like, you know, don't just take a heroic dose of mushrooms and then the next day go, oh my God, I took mushrooms. I mean, yeah, you have to be under certain supervision for stuff too. And therapy is, I mean, therapy period, in addition to whatever, therapy is always good to have someone to talk to that's not a judgmental piece of your life, you know. That's why I feel so fortunate to have a hospice, nurse, wife, cannabis, um, psilocybin, smart woman with me so that when I do these things, she can help me unpack the, the things that I need, you know, she helps me with that. That's amazing. Um, it's It's not very, so I got, when I retired, I was married. Um, when I started cannabis, my wife divorced me. (laughs) What? Really? She was with you for all of the other stuff. But as soon as you started doing marijuana, that was like, no, yeah. Well, there was more more of a story to that. She turned out um, she was helping her. So, <laughs> yeah, it was more than that. She got pregnant by another guy too. Oh, and that was the whole oh pretty loaded. But, but really, but really, it was what she called me out on was she found she found my cannabis and was like, "You got all this, you got all this weed. What's this?" Oh, she threw it all at me. She was She's using like, that against this? you. What's this? Yeah, for to like, help her cause because of all yeah, the other stuff. Totally, probably it was totally like that, but it was a cop out um, yeah. to find to find someone. Um, so my wife and my sister were best friends in high school. She's four years younger than me. I didn't really know her that much. I mean, I knew of her and knew about her and had met, but I had gone away in the Navy for twenty years and I came back and then ran into her one night at at a at. Uh, the bar and we were sitting and talking and the people that we were left with left without even saying goodbye to us. That's how engrossed our conversation was. I tell people that I always say, well, she dated my sister back in high school. So she already knows everything that is about me, but her <laughs> and my sister were such good friends that she already knew my personality. And when we met, I was struggling with this opioid problem and she helped me so much understand it and work through it and she's a she's just a bright light yeah that's so crazy that's so amazing how life works right she was always meant to be she was there for a reason but you didn't know until the reason was there right that's That's so cute (laughs) (laughs) we gotta get her we gotta get her version of the story when we get her on the podcast i tried to kiss her and all kinds of (laughs) We'll get the real team. I'll tell you one thing she said. She goes, she, so we, we knew each other, you know, kind of like we had had brief conversations, but nothing like intense one-on-one. And she told me like really close to my ear. She said, I don't remember you being so yummy. That's what she, that's what my Ooh. wife said to me. <laughs> and, so that, that, and you were like, yes. First book in the water, right? 
That's what I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Right? I'm good. With she it. knew what green, to say. She saw, yeah, she, she sounds pretty <laughs> slick. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. She's awesome. Saved my life. Cannabis, I tell people cannabis and my wife saved my life. Hey, That's man. What the back of my shirt says is cannabis saves lives. Yeah. Because it does. The last, yeah, the, does. the the last, uh, uh, well, the first episode of our season, we just uh, had released it, and she's a hairstylist, uh, but she in was really young in college when she had an issue and got uh, addicted to opioids too, just because yeah. her doctor was prescribing them to her, right. and she was talking, telling us how it took her a while to realize that she, you know, had a problem because she wasn't going to a dealer; she was going to Wal- Walgreens. Right. A hundred percent. And that's what my, my cousin called me out on. He's like, I'm watching you fall asleep during our conversation, dude, you're addicted to opioids. And I was pissed. I was pissed at him because I did 20 years in the Navy and you're going to come in and tell me I'm addicted to opioids. And he's like, he's, he, I bet you know how many pills you have left in your bottle. I bet you know what your next doctor's appointment is to get your script renewed. (gasps) I bet if they don't have it, you're mad. He's he's saying all he these called things, all telling, this stuff out. Well, I'm telling him get get out of the house. Out. I don't want to hear it. Get out. And in it, my was mind, he I'm, right I'm on all those? Yeah, I'm checking blocks off in my head, and I'm like, I don't. I'm pissed because he knows this. Right, about. right. He yeah, he's calling you out. Like, yeah. I don't need you to call me out, dude. You don't know what I went through. Right. And he says like, I'm not trying to do that. I want you to be better. Just look, research it, dude. Research it. I'll even help you find it. You know what I mean? You're still friends with him? My cousin got killed in a car crash like a a year and a half. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I got off, completely got off of opioids. Oh, wow. So he didn't even get to see. So he lives, so you live, he lives on through your legacy. Like his legacy lives on through you because he, you know what? You were really mad at him at the time, but he, he laid it out for you and you need, some people need that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was an emotional period in my life, you know, and I knew I was in a failing marriage and my cousins call me out on this. And I'm thinking like, this is my heroic part of time because I've already done my service. You know what I mean? And here I am right. stuck in this hell and I knew it. it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to hear that, though. Yeah. You know, and oh, that's for why sure. when you talk about cannabis and provide that little bit of hope. It changes people's mindset about how to that that you can break that addiction but you have to have the right intent you have to have the right intent you can't you can't use cannabis and then take your opioids yeah support is support is really really important too you need to have the right people in your corner so the doctrine says that cannabis doubles the strength of your opioids so in in theory you could have your opioid intake right off the bat. And that's what I did wow. was I halved my in- opioid intake and used cannabis. And then when I decided that I'm stopping instead of every two hours on that, when it came time for that second two hours, I would use cannabis. And if it, if it felt like, Oh man, I need to take some more medicine pills. I would use cannabis and keep pushing it as far as I could to the right. And then if I pushed it to the next two hours then i was good or i'd take half and then i would just continue to do that until until i was able to just stop 
And that was a great interview. We hope that we're able to support his cause uh, because, you know, it is kind of expensive to get a medical card. So what he's doing is wonderful, and helping a lot of people. And medical card and keep it. You have yeah, to renew and keep it every it. year. You got to renew with your doctor visits right. and your prescription. It's, it's, it's a it, lot. And it's not covered. It's not covered in insurance. It's right. not paid for by the VA. And, you know, it's a great service that they're they're providing. Yeah, so if you want to follow uh, Jeff, go ahead and hit him up at The Grateful Veteran. Uh, he's at The Grateful Veteran, uh, at The Grateful, V-E-T-E-R underscore O-G on Instagram, or at The Grateful Veteran. Uh, his website's thegratefulveteran.com, and um, he's also The Grateful Veteran at Gmail if you want to hit him up, email. To collaborate or see how you can help. Yeah, hopefully we'll get him on cause. board, we'll help. We'll have him on board with one of our yeah. events and we'll give back to uh, the community with him. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, guys. We appreciate you. We appreciate your ears and your your existence. If you made it this far, you should be a patron. If you made it this far, you should be a patron. If you are a patron, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the rotation of our OG patrons. We want to give a special shout out and thanks to Yanni, Destiny, Lauren, Jesse, Christy, April, Shelby, Denise, Peaches, Natalie, Meredith, Terry, Angelina, Jenny, Catherine, Amanda, Jessica, C, <laughs> Chrissy, Diane, and Guillermo. Thanks, Become guys. a patron for guys. early access to episodes, additional content, video, full uncut versions of our interviews, Zoom, smug sessions. We go on trips and shit. Like, come on, bro. Join us. <laughs> Subscribe, rate, review, and share our content. Podsmokingmoms.com. Bye. Do we intro out or should I just play the theme song? Oh, I guess we should we'll intro out. We'll just do a theme song. Oh, just theme song? Let's do it. Dance. <laughs> oh, we do that. <laughs>